Hello, my fellow Bitcoiners, meet the status credit card. Earn unlimited 2% cash back or Bitcoin rewards on every purchase with no annual fee, no foreign transaction fees, and no fees to buy Bitcoin at the market rate. This card comes with status money's premium benefits to help you manage your money, including a net worth and spending tracker, peer comparisons, and the option to video chat with a financial coach. Download the status money app or visit statusmoney.com slash card. Get the status credit card, go to statusmoney.com forward slash card. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Welcome back to another episode of Fed Watch. It's CK. I'm here with Ansel. We have a absolutely jam-packed show for y'all. Uh, yeah. Ansel put together an incredible year in review, documenting all of 2020, and we got uh, 2022, and we got a lot to go to go over. Um, Ansel, what a year, man! It's been another year of doing Fed Watch. How you doing, my friend? Yeah. Oh man. The, the whole year, uh, especially for this show, because we, you know, closely watched the central banks and what they're doing. Um, it was an unbelievable year. I mean, we'll cover this, but just as an example, the fed went from 0% to four and a half percent on the fed funds, just out of the blue as if it was nothing. And so we're going to be covering all sorts of things from Bitcoin to the federal reserve to a little bit of the ECB, um, to the macro charts, like what's going on with commodities, what's going on with uh, energy and that kind of thing. So yeah, jam-packed show. And as you can hear, I'm a little bit under the weather, so. We can't hear, you uh, sound great. You sound, okay, you yeah. sound great. And I uh, apologize for, for the late response. I got like a million windows here. I am producing today, producer Chris, uh, he is on vacation, a much deserved vacation. Uh, yes. He's celebrating the holidays with his family. I want to give a huge shout out to Chris. The man is an absolute legend. He puts down so much content across all of Bitcoin Magazine, uh, including helping us with FedWatch. So thank you so much, Chris. Really appreciate you. Uh, and happy holidays and happy New Year's to you and your fam. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. I gave thanks last week, but I'm very thankful to all the FedWatch listeners. Thanks for tuning in. This is why we do what we do. Um, and... We would love to meet you all in person at the Bitcoin conference. So May 18th through the 20th, this upcoming year, we are entering into 2023. It's going to be a big year for Bitcoin. And the Bitcoin conference is here to be that physical instantiation of, uh, of the Bitcoin ecosystem. So uh, Antel is going to be there. I'm going to be there. would love to meet our listeners live in Miami. 
uh, and we're going to be hanging out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we are going to be Bitcoin Twitter. We're going to have Noster in real life. We're having it all there at the Bitcoin conference. Actually, if you are a Noster open source contributor, we're going to give you a free ticket. If you are an open source contributor to a whole plethora of open source Bitcoin and sovereignty projects on the internet, um, we want to give you a free ticket. If you are a Bitcoiner, we want to give you a discount. That discount code is BM Live. Actually, we have a special discount that gets you a, a steeper discount. It's NYE15. So that obviously ends uh, with the New Year's, which is coming around the corner. Man, 2022 coming to an end. But yeah, use that code NYE15 to get 15% off. And uh, y'all, I guess without further ado, uh, let's get into uh, this 2022 review. Well, I, I have a plug too up front. Uh, uh, Bitcoin Day, it. Bitcoin Day. Uh, you know that that was up in Nashville where we met yes, up earlier this year. It is going to be in Naples in January. So check out BitcoinDay.io and find out. I will be there. Greg Foss will be there. He's the headline speaker. Um, so check that out if you're in Southern Florida, even if you're as far North as I am in Jacksonville, it's not that far of a drive to go down to Naples. So check out bitcoinday.io for more details. All right. That's all I got. Bitcoin, uh, 2023 with a little bit of Bitcoin day in January. Love those yep, guys. Yep. And, uh, you know, if, if Greg and Ansel are there, it's going to be Fuego. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm excited. It'll, it'll be my first time going to South Florida on that side, on the Gulf Coast side. So uh, excited to see that part of the state. All right. Yeah, let's jump into this. We have Bitcoin. Of course, so much stuff happened in Bitcoin. The big, I mean, people that watch the show, they're very familiar with the big events that happened this year. We have Terra Luna exploded. So Terra was the USD coin. And on May 7th, it lost its peg and it dropped from $1 down to uh, 30 cents or something like that. And then May 12th, the Luna token, which was associated, the scammed coin associated with uh, Terra USD, it crashed from $80 down to a few cents. Um, and the fallout from that collapse, which Bitcoiners said was coming, Bitcoiners said all of this stuff was a huge Ponzi scheme, um, that, that was that collapsed and it was uh, caused about a $300 billion uh, just vaporization of, you know, market cap in all of Bitcoin and altcoins and all that stuff. And you can see that on the chart. That was the first big dip up to that point in 2022, Bitcoin was down from about 46,000 to, I think it was maybe 40,000 or so uh, when Terra Luna collapsed, but it wasn't, ridiculously down and it looked fairly strong then everything started to hit the fan so terra luna was that first one then celsius on june 12th they froze withdrawals and you can see what happened after that and finally ftx of course people are familiar with what happened there november 6th cz tweets out that he's going to be selling his ftt tokens and the market the floor of the market just drops out then november 6th uh or sorry november 8th is when we had the big drop. So uh, overall, hundreds of billions of dollars gone. But Bitcoin, other than that, has remained pretty strong. And the blocks have come out every 10 minutes, like we like that saying, TikTok, next block. Uh, that continues to go on with Bitcoin. Nothing fundamentally has changed about the Bitcoin narrative, the Bitcoin arguments. 
It's just that this whole like Ponzi ecosystem around altcoins has vaporized. So CK, what are your thoughts on all of these big events that happened? Uh, of course, we'll go into mining here in a second, but uh, just on these big collapses, uh, what do you have to add? I mean, it's uh, the, the price was already kind of headed downwards. I think there was a lot of uh, steam that was kind of being released, but um, obviously these huge blowups, they have a huge impact. I mean, I think the Terra thing was, it had a massive institutional impact. And then mm-hmm. obviously, um, you know, these fiat institutions, they're still operating in the crypto realm with Bitcoin and other crypto assets like they do in the fiat world, right? So um, Terra blows up, all of them are underwater. All of them are intertwined and intermingled and we're harvesting this 20% yield and you know we're repackaging it and selling it as some other products, even to retail via you know interest accounts. Um, and when, when the source of the 20% yield and the cash flow ended, you know, it all, it all, you know, it all dried up and it all started, they, they all kind of got exposed. Um, and then the next hit, which is Celsius is even more drastic because that is one of the 20%, that's one of the yield interfaces, you know, right. that was effectively gaining yield off of Terra and other, um, DeFi yield schemes that were out there um and that has a massive impact as well as it massively impacts the consciousness of the public because Mm -hmm. you know a lot of let's just call it finance savvy people were like oh i can get 12 percent yield on my dollars if i just put stable coins into this account like this is a you know a regulated entity that's operating in the United States and there's many of them. Right. Um, so like, that's like, that is kind of like the type of person that's affected by, by this, you know, by, by that big down, um, that, that happened when Celsius withdraws, uh, froze. And then next is FTX, which is, it's almost kind of like, uh, it's a combination of Terra and Celsius, which is, is like, it affects retail and institutions massively. And they're all intertwined, but F the, you know, the entire period where Bitcoin is like kind of consolidating after Terra and Celsius FTX with their FTT token is, is kind of absorbing a lot of that negative sell pressure and the, the negative narratives and the, the bankruptcies and liquidations that are happening because they're going out and, you know, they're trying to be the next JP Morgan and, and, <laughs> and, and save all and, and bail out all these institutions when, you know, their, their shirt is dirty as well. Um, and then obviously when FTX gets exposed, uh, when Alameda's balance sheet was released and then uh, CZ, you know, publicly making the sell, um, you know, it all, it all fell apart, but um, and, and we kind of just see like the rest of that, you know, kind of like negative activity kind of fell through and, you know, even more withdrawals were frozen. Um, and now, you know, we have people su- like, you know, not on this chart is, uh, is class action lawsuit against Gemini. Not, you yeah. know, not on this chart is a class action lawsuit uh, against GBTC. Not on this chart is like a lot of defrauded investors that are now, you know, finding ways to take action via the legal system. 
um, and and bankruptcies that haven't kind of like come to light yet. Um, I, I personally, you know, me and you have kind of been going back and forth. Like, is there another shoe to drop? You know, yeah. I personally think that there's there's definitely another shoe to drop in the mining space. There's definitely another shoe to drop in the lending space. Um, there's definitely another shoe to drop in like the the venture capital or hedge fund space. So um, I, I don't think that we've we've even seen enough pain yet, which is pretty insane because you know we're we're sitting here at 16k. But is the the uh, froth you know the paper Bitcoin that has been pretty much erased? So in the next kind of maybe era of this collapse of the kind of scam ecosystem, it might be a rush to Bitcoin, you know, like a safe haven in the space. Uh, could you see that maybe, you know, it just because some VCs blow up doesn't necessarily Bitcoin has to, to fall. What do you, what do you think of that? I think we're far away from that mental paradigm shift. I think we're still at 0.01% Bitcoin adopters on the planet. That means people who um, people who are using Bitcoin uh, in terms of they hold their own keys or they're consciously abstaining from holding their own keys, but they're not unconsciously, you know, keeping their funds on a, on a shitcoin casino just because it looks like Chase or it looks like a bank. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we're just really far away from like people who find safety in SAT still as being the majority. And until that happens or until scarcity starts to assert itself, um, we're not going to see that, that reflexivity, I think, to, mm-hmm. to lack of confidence in other things. Right. All right. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's crazy that our, our positions have switched here in the last, uh, this year. So I, I was always the, the kind of person that was, oh, don't get too ahead of yourselves. You know, we're going to have a consolidation and, and, you were the permable and now we're like our roles have totally swapped here in 2022, which is very, very interesting. But, um, well, y- you're always, uh, the, the true contrarian and I'm just, uh, you know, <laughs> well, <that's true. laughs> I'm just going along with the consensus. Yeah. I guess there's a little bit of that in there too. So, um, okay, well let, let's talk about the miners. You brought that up. So, um, what I thought was so interesting this year was back in July, you know, they had the heat wave in Texas and the miners decided to uh, voluntarily shut down. And of course, there's all sorts of different financial incentives involved here, but they shut down and I believe it was like 1.2 gigawatts or I don't know how to measure energy, but uh, it was a huge amount of energy saved by the grid that helped in the heat wave, uh, helped the grid in the heat wave. Then not only that, a second time now, just recently on Christmas, with this cold wave that blew through, we saw a massive drop in Bitcoin hash rate because a lot of the U.S. miners voluntarily shut down their machines to save the grid. Uh, they I didn't think voluntarily. Are... Let's not spread the voluntarily narrative. They had an opportunity to make a lot more money by shutting off their miners, so they did. Like obviously they have the yeah. PR element, but it's not vol- like these are market forces. They're just market Correct. actors. Correct. Yeah. They're. I mean, but they're. These are, you know, by Bitcoin mining uh, becoming a, a thing within the grid, uh, it is a tool for the grid and it balances incentives within the grid and it's Absolutely. a win-win situation. So, yeah, of course, it's a voluntary win. I mean, uh, the, the Bitcoin miners aren't going to um, 
crash the grid on purpose. Right. So, yeah. And I, I saw Marty bet say something about this too. Like we shouldn't spread this uh, being too, like not friendly, but too uh, pumping up the miners too much or something. But I think it's amazing thing. Just. Oh, it, it absolutely is amazing. It, it's an amazing thing that the narrative or the, the idea that Bitcoin can balance the grid because it can have uh, adjustable demand worked. It worked beautifully twice this year in some big situations. And so I think that is going to be noticed. Um, and yeah, so I thought that was huge. That's probably the biggest thing for me in the mining space this year. Um, we have a few other things here, uh, like the hash rate rose dramatically, even despite the price dropping. Uh, the hash rate rose from about 170 exahash to 100, uh, I'm sorry, 230 exahash. And I do have a chart there, CK, for this one. Yeah, it's number two. So you can see that the the hash rate in orange just continued to climb throughout the year, despite the price continuing to fall. And just recently, yes, they, the mine, miners, pub, specifically the public miners and the, some of the large miners, they're having some financial difficulty, of course. And so we see a big drop in the hash rate uh, recently. But throughout the year, it's still a 35% increase, even with the recent uh recent troubles any any thoughts on the hash rate throughout the year ck this is the ultimate signal in bitcoin guys so um this is the ultimate skin in the game uh this is uh this is monthly expenses against bitcoin mined and uh what this is telling us is that there is cheaper energy available on the planet than we ever could have thought. And despite Bitcoin's economics dropping out, there is more bandwidth in order to, for these, you know, there's, there's more, there's more economic and, and electric electrical bandwidth uh, that's available at lower prices where this hash rate can fall and, and move to. Uh, also what is not explicit on this is improvement in ASICs that, uh may or may not be known right we don't know you know if seeing you know in this like october spike up you know mm -hmm. is that is that new equipment that you know some insiders plug in and it's and it's blowing the top off of what was previously possible so innovation is not necessarily explicitly baked into this uh but i think the general trend what makes this number go up is access to cheap energy and then that's especially obvious despite uh, Bitcoin price dropping, because this is effectively proof that there is more energy out there for cheaper. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, it's not economical to mine at six cents. OK, well, somewhere there's two cents. Right. And then it's economical mine. And, and the miners are going there. They're going there like it's working. So uh, this is it's so bullish to just see this go up in the face of negative price action. Seeing this, you know, typically mining is a lagging indicator because the price shoots up and then that, you know, creates a lot of euphoria. It creates a lot of wealth and then uh, people invest in mining and then that there's a production cost and installation cost and time that that takes. So, um, it, it, you know, hash rate really does lag. So maybe this is the 60K price, but, you know, as long as it keeps going up. That just means that the mining ecosystem is getting more efficient. We're finding more electricity. 
uh, and and the ASICs are getting to, are finding better places to to land, and it's just so bullish. And and on the grid balancing element, Ansel, I mean, just looking through all the blackouts that happened, you know, across the U.S. because of this cold spell. Um, it's really funny to see, you know, people who are saying, oh, Texas's grid's not good because it has no, because they, it's a market-based system and it has no excess electricity when we need to go higher. Um, and and they were saying that when there was a cold spell last year in 2021 and Texas's grid had an epic fail. Mm-hmm. Well, in just one year's time, a grid that's more market-driven has Bitcoin miners on it. And what are the results this year? Yeah, there's some blackouts, but there's blackouts everywhere. This is an epic cold front that hit the entire nation, right? There's blackouts on the Eastern energy grid as well. There's blackouts on the Western energy grid as well. But the Texas one all of a sudden has this capability to, hey, it has way more electricity uh, you know, available on grid that they can tap into uh, if the price is right, because there's miners who are effectively maintaining the 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 top end of elect- that electricity usage, um, and we're seeing this utility play out in real life. And I think that this chart is just beginning to go up. Like when we, <laughs> it, it's insane. I got into Bitcoin almost five years ago, and I think like, well, it it was like ten exahash. You know, now yeah. now we're sitting at you know we've hit almost two hundred. I remember when we passed a hundred exahash, right? So. You know, in another five years of Bitcoin, you know, this is going to what we're at right now is going to be a blip. The difficulty is is just beginning to rise. So uh, and it, it's it's going to be a one. It's going to be amazing to watch. And I, I per, my personal prediction for 2023, since this is a 2020 review, is that we are going to see substantial steps and substantial public acknowledgement of Bitcoin's utility and Bitcoin mining's utility for grid balancing and for making energy grids more efficient and more profitable. The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is brought to you by CrowdHealth. With open enrollment upon us, what if you didn't have to pay healthcare premiums anymore? What if you can invest in Bitcoin instead? With CrowdHealth, you can choose your doctors, put aside money for your health expenses in your own account, and even hold a large part of it in Bitcoin. Pay one low monthly total to fund an account that is yours. If a large expense comes up, CrowdHealth will crowdfund the bill for you to pay quickly. Go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG and experience freedom from health insurance by utilizing Bitcoin. Right now, through the end of the year, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. Don't get stuck in a bad insurance plan again. Instead, go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG to sign up. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. The least well-performing grids, I bet, 
were are also the least friendly to Bitcoin miners. So if you look at New York's grid, uh, New Jersey's grid, I think you know some of those places that are the least friendly to Bitcoin miners, they also probably had the worst time during this storm. So uh, I, I wonder if if you could map that, if people could map that out. And lastly, I want to touch on um, a lot of the bankruptcies that we're, we're hearing around from public miners and the, the large miners. Um, a lot of people, I think there's a misunderstanding that they think, you know, oh, when, when a miner goes bankrupt, those machines get, you know, rolled over by a bulldozer or something. You know, no, those machines might never turn off, right? So they file bankruptcy, they go through their bankruptcy proceedings, and the whole time those miners are still crunching away, doing their thing. Um, and then those miners could be turned over to, they could be sold while they're still on mining Bitcoin. So there might be no interruption. Uh, it's just a fact of clearing out the bad malinvestment in the ecosystem or the, the bad business management in the ecosystem and replacing it with new ownership. So um, I want to, I wanted to bring that up for people. Uh, okay. I think that's Get a great me. point. And just to give an example to that point, Galaxy Digital just bought a facility from Argo Blockchain, one of the most fiat public miners out there um, in Texas. And it most likely went exactly how you just described it, where, you know, one public entity is operating the facility, there's a transaction, and now there's new ownership and the miners never turned off. You know, right. they just, it's just new ownership, new pool account, and, you know, they're off to the races. Yeah, I think that's one of the bis, uh, big misunderstandings by no coiners out there, too, about Bitcoin mining. It's it's really one of the least understood aspects of Bitcoin. And I mean, I'm not a huge expert in mining, but I'm kind of a huge expert in the economics, maybe, of it, but not the uh, actual mining itself. So um, other things that happened in the mining sector was we saw big companies starting to do pilot projects, uh, starting to do flare mining and things like that. We had ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, Shell. These are gigantic, powerful companies in the world, and they're all going in on Bitcoin mining. Uh, so that is a pretty interesting development. And lastly, I have the Electrical Reliability Council of Texas. And we've talked about Texas quite a bit here already, but they came out with a report and so this is, um, you know, really serious people talking about really serious benefits from Bitcoin. And we're, we're seeing Duke Energy, another big energy company in the United States, they're uh, starting to look into this and do research on how Bitcoin mining can help. So, um, yeah, th those are some of the big things from this year. Anything to add on the big companies getting in there, CK? This is just the beginning. Yeah. And uh, they're all interested and they don't have to like Bitcoin. It is strictly, will hmm. they make more money with what they're doing? And the answer is yes. And so therefore they will be adopting Bitcoin and we can all thank Satoshi. Right. All right. Uh, next thing for Bitcoin here, we're spending a lot of time on Bitcoin, but let's do, let's go through this lightning network growth. So lightning network grew from about 2,400 Bitcoins in capacity and more than doubled to 5,100 Bitcoins in capacity. There was major developments like this actually was in last December, but uh, right at the beginning of the year was when Dorsey's company released the Lightning Development Kit, the LDK. 
that has been used in several projects. Uh, Strike has been expanding their uh, point of sale and the way that they use lightning in remittances as, as a, uh, you know, a rails, a payment rails. Of course, we have the expansion in El Salvador and their adoption there. Bolt 12, uh, which is something interesting I'm just starting to learn about. This is a new development that adds a lot of functionality to lightning, um, reusable invoices. It's like a, actually, I think it's an offer. It's like a reusable offer, which is a precursor to an invoice. And that way you can do all sorts of things with lightning, which is very, very interesting. Of course, there were some bugs in the lightning network. A few things uh, crashed a couple of the implementations, but those were quickly uh, remedied. People learned from those those uh, mistakes. And it also shows the resiliency of this type of stacked architecture with layers because the consensus layer of Bitcoin was unaffected. It was only the layer two uh, that was using a specific implementation. So a lot of times on layer one, people say like a lightning or sorry, in Ethereum, they said this all the time that, you know, we need more implementations. We need more teams because we don't want just the Ethereum foundation, the, the centralization that is the Ethereum foundation. We don't want everyone to know that. We want a lot of implementations of the code. Well, when they started doing that, what happens? You get bugs in these other implementations and you have consensus failure on the main network. So Bitcoin is, there is one massive dominant player on, of an implementation piece of software on the base layer, but then the layer twos, uh, they, it's a wild, wild west out there. And so that is, uh, I think these bugs in lightning actually, uh, put a spotlight on the infrastructure, the way that it's structured in Bitcoin and the benefits of that versus how altcoins do things. So anything to add on lightning network this year, CK? I don't have a lot to add. Um, I mean, I'm obviously very bullish on Lightning, and I agree with you that uh, the stacked architect architecture is optimal because uh, it allows for it allows for this kind of experimentation. And I think we're just beginning to kind of see Lightning as this like altcoin killer for serious businesses because you know there's a lot of maybe there's a lot of real reasons to be like, hey, Bitcoin can't do what I need for my business previously because Bitcoin is designed to do one thing, which is settle value very, very well with, you know, maybe there's uh, a few other kind of like fringe use cases. Um, but with the Lightning Network, there's so much more kind of uh, experimentation and uh, and ability to, to kind of code and program and affect the network more directly uh, and on the implementation front compete. Uh, it's it's very interesting, and I'm very interested to see what happens next, what layer three looks like, uh, and then you know ultimately on Bolt 12, I think that 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 that's huge because uh, it was a, a real drag that you had to actively set up an invoice every time you wanted to use Lightning, and now if you can just have a static kind of uh, thing to to pay to, uh, it's a huge improvement, and you're already seeing that on Noster now. Uh, so yeah. there's a social network, and they're, they're using lightning's bolt 12 capabilities um and ln url and things like that that are built off of that in order to um in order to uh you know you use lightning as native payments which is it's it's amazing and uh really i think the internet that we use today is really held back by that there's there's just no native payments on there so i'm very interested to see how that play out and 
juicily enough, I'm very interested to see how tarot and other things like that kind of play into uh, how lightning works and how lightning could be uh, attempted to be regulated. Because once you have USD on the lightning network, you know, are, are, are lightning nodes money transmitters? I don't know. So uh, th that's something that uh, could be a 2023 uh, political and legal uh, topic that people get into. Ansel, we've been spending, we spent 30 minutes on Bitcoin, which is amazing. <laughs> I love spending time yes, on Bitcoin, yes. absolutely. But, um, you know, we, ha we have a lot of things on here and this is the Bitcoin macro show. So uh, let, maybe uh, what do you want to jump to next? Let's go to that video clip. That'll be a good way to break up the the central bank stuff. So you have Bitcoin that's very technical. That's the the God's honest truth is the blockchain, you know, the block, uh, the mining sector that we've been talking about. Uh, now let's get into what central banks look like. So let's play that clip from Lagarde. All right. Give me one second. Yep. There's this graph about the balance sheet of the European Central Bank and the money that is on there now. And here it is. What I would like to uh, show our viewers and, and ask the question about is, this is going over 8 trillion euros now. Mm -hmm. And isn't what you just told us about the um, cryptocurrencies, don't we see a gigantic bubble here on your balance sheet with the euro? And isn't this graph very nerve-wracking? Well, I can tell you that there is zero crypto assets in the balance sheet of the ECB. That I know. Uh, point number one. Well, I just don't want any ambiguity about it. Yeah. But you have to think in terms of counterfactual. If we had not decided on March 18th, when we put together the pandemic emergency program and then subsequently increased the volume of commitment that we made to the European Union economies, we would be in a devastated situation. So I don't regret any of that move that we took on that day, which was four months into my job, to significantly increase the size of the balance sheet, because that's all we had. Yeah. Otherwise, the economy would have collapsed and it would have been even accelerated by a financial crisis. You had to do it. It was so, the COVID crisis. You say that's yes. what we needed to do. But how do you get it It will back? come. It will come in due course. Yeah. How? In due how? course, it will come. Yeah? No, but do you I sleep will... at night when you see this? Of course I have to sleep at night. And I have to worry every morning. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Over here. I was wondering, do you own any cryptos yourself? No, I don't. Because I um, want to practice what I preach. <laughs> and then... Uh, I know how it works you... and I have... I actually have a son who invested in cryptos. Yes. So I, I follow very carefully. <laughs> and what have you taken away from that? That I would not put my finger in there. <laughs> and he didn't listen to your advice? No. No. He's a free man. He is, yeah. Did he lose a lot? He wouldn't tell me. <laughs> Sorry, I muted you, uh, Ansel. <laughs> my bad. Um, I, I know that that was an older clip, but a uh, very interesting one at that. And it's very interesting that cryptos are, you know, a main topic uh, uh, on this, you know, ECB yeah. president, you know, central banker, you know, 
fireside chat or whatever that was. Well, it's not that old. It's from, I think, June or July of this year. So that's why I wanted to play that because it's from from uh, 2022. And uh, yeah, it's just amazing that they ask her, uh, how is it going to come down? And she's like, oh, it will come in due course. It will come like just and smiling. No idea. She has no freaking clue. That's what the central bankers are like. So um, that was a good way to kick off this talk about central banks. Well, uh, the high priests of of, of uh, fiat, <laughs> that's what they are. Yeah, and uh, and the ECB, the high priest of CBDCs, which we didn't even, I didn't even put anything on the outline today for CBDCs, but that was a big topic as well. Um, okay, so we can Fed, summarize it as incompetent government circle jerking. <laughs> yeah, lots of pilot programs and not a lot of launching. Um, so we have the Fed. They at the end of last year, they had talked about, hey, we are going to be winding down our asset purchases by March of 2022. And they didn't really talk about tightening yet by, you know, at the beginning of the year, but they very quickly went in to tightening as well. By March, they, they uh, were at zero and then April they started raising uh, and they went from zero all the way up to, uh, 4.25% is the lower bound of the new Fed funds range. This is the fastest move in decades. I do have a chart there. If you want to bring that one up, let's see. Yes, it's number four. And you can see that it's much faster than the last round that was started by Yellen and finished by Powell. So Powell came in mid 2018, I believe. And he, uh, you know, was the architect of the end of that, that hiking cycle. That was his first Powell pivot number one. And then Powell pivot number two is when he switched from dovish to hawkish all of a sudden at the end of 2021. And now we, you know, we've been waiting all year for the new Powell pivot number three, which will come at the top of this steep increase. Um, they, so they rose, they raised by 25 basis points, then 50 then they had, I think, four, let me see, one, two, three, four, 75 basis point hikes. And then this last one, they slowed back to 50 basis points. Uh, so that is a pretty incredible year straight upwards from the Federal Reserve. Any comments on this, CK? We've been talking about this all year. It's wild. And if you zoom out, uh, it looks even more wild. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean... This is really the fastest pace that they've raised rates, I think, since the early 80s, um, maybe 1980. And so a lot of people are waiting for something to blow up. But let's talk about the ECB. So we just watched Lagarde. And what she has done is the this is not the ECB, by the way. This is for the next part. Um, so the, the Lagarde, they, they are just following the Fed. The one reason why she couldn't answer that question in the video was because all she does is mirror what the Fed does a couple months later. Uh, they started raising 75 basis points. Uh, they've so far gone through two uh, and they've started rolling their uh, balance sheet down. Um, so that's what's going on with the ECB. And actually, yeah, you, ha you were right, man. You were keeping us on track with that uh, QT. So let's bring that one up. Yeah, so this is the the Fed is rolling off about sixty billion a month now in their balance sheet, 
Uh, a lot of people are looking at this. They're looking at the M2 money supply being negative now, negative rate of uh, change for the year. So uh, pretty big changes. Any, any comments on QT and how the ECB is just following the United States? Oh, you're We've muted. been bearish on the ECB pretty much as long as I've known this show. So, um, yeah, still bearish. <laughs> Not a good position right. to be in. They have, I mean, no, what do they have? They have nothing, so. <laughs> well, th there are some other major central banks. That's the B the Bank of Japan. They were they really did their own thing this year. They were still continuing to do their the QQE and the yield curve control. Uh, you know, very stimulative, quote unquote, stimulative monetary policy throughout the year. Why every other central bank was getting more and more hawkish. Um, the Bank of England tried to follow suit, but they had the guilt. Uh, blow up and we covered that here on the show yeah. uh, they have that that was the, a temporary thing so far and they've been able to recover yes sorry we saw a prime minister uh become the prime minister and leave uh the prime ministership uh in england after about 40 days or 45 days um after you know some some insane uh insane activity in the uh the uk uh bond market yeah, I think if you count interim prime ministers, there's five prime ministers this year, which is pretty crazy. Uh, okay, so that's the Bank of England. Of course, the PBOC, the the People's Bank of China, they had a bunch of stuff going on. They continued to uh, go the other direction as well, actually, and lower rates very slowly, but they lowered rates throughout the year. Uh, so that is kind of a summary of what the central banks did this year. I think... Um, the biggest story, though, was from a non-major central bank, and that is the Bank of Russia. They, the Central Bank of Russia, they had their assets seized. And I have an article here that I was going to pull up and read a little bit. So this is from Sputnik. So it's a Russian, Russian news outlet. It says, who froze Russian assets abroad and what might happen to them? Over 300 billion of Russian assets have been frozen by foreign states, most of which is foreign currency reserves belonging to the Central Bank of Russia. Following the launch of Russia's military operation in Ukraine on February 24th, the United States and its allies enacted several rounds of economic sanctions against Moscow, including the freezing of billions of dollars of assets abroad. Having only deprived Russia of the ability to use these assets at first, the U.S. and the EU now mull confiscating them under the pretext of using this wealth to help Ukraine, with Russia warning that such a move would amount to outright theft. So how much are these seized Russian assets worth and what countries still hold them? Okay, then the article goes in. I'll link to this uh, in the show notes to the podcast version of the show. Uh, but yeah, 300 billion in Russian assets were frozen of the central bank of Russia. And to me, this is probably the biggest story out there because we talk a lot on this show about the, how the international globalized system is falling apart, how trust is eroding around the world. And this type of thing from the U.S. and from Western allies seizing this type of money is breaking that trust down. 
And what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a neutral currency that you can self-custody. It is perfect as a workaround. And what do we see at the end of the year now? Russia is talking about using Bitcoin for import-export. So um, this story of the Rus uh, Russian central bank reserves being frozen and then them turning to Bitcoin is, I think, a very good example of where we're at in the Bitcoin story. So CK, what do you, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, um, Russia is definitely a country with a very poor reputation in the West. So it's not necessarily the best PR for Bitcoin, but I think my, my personal mental model for Bitcoin is that Bitcoin wins at the margins. So at the margins of the financial system, at the fringes, those that are being marginalized, that's where Bitcoin wins. So now that we see Russia being marginalized, Bitcoin starts winning there. We start seeing, you know, we've seen Iran uh, get marginalized and, uh, you know, obviously not a great PR story for Bitcoin as well. But again, Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin thrives there despite, you know, the country itself being adversarial, the government itself being adversarial to its citizens using it. So um, Bitcoin is a financial system that wins at the margins, especially while uh, the liquidity is just not there yet. But, you know, when the liquidity is there and it's superior to the existing financial system, I think that's the tipping point. But um, for the time being, if you need to use an alternative, you're doing it because you're being marginalized. And, and Bitcoin works. It works fantastically. And it's getting to the point now where it's at least big enough for some countries to start using it for legitimate transfer, for legitimate business, for uh, for legitimate industry. So, um, it's, it's fascinating to kind of see it play out. And this has been part of the, th the thesis the entire time. It's going to be interesting to see how the West uh, responds um, as their weaponization of the financial system gets neutered by an alternative being uh, present. Yeah, I don't think it's bad PR. You know, uh, more than half the world's population voted with Russia in the UN uh, on this Ukraine thing. So uh, it's only bad PR in the West for people watching Western press. So uh, I think that this is huge, hugely positive PR in the rest of the world. Uh, and like, think about India, right? India is staying relatively neutral in regards to the Ukraine conflict. And that is a big growth market for Bitcoin as well. So there depends on where you're sitting it is where the, the West is never going to give good, good PR to Bitcoin at least not for the next uh, decade or so, but eventually they will, eventually they'll, they'll adopt it. But uh, other than that, I, I agree with all those comments. Okay. Let's uh, go on to the next topic. And those are the currency charts. What, what's our time here? Hey, we Almost. got, we got to smash these in, in about 15 minutes here. So it's going to be right. action packed. I'll try to shut up and, and give you the floor Ansel. All right, well, let's uh, pull up this very first one. What is this one? The dollar. Uh, we already, of course, looked at Bitcoin and saw what that did this year. Here's a, a yearly chart of the dollar. Just continued to go up and up, crushing everybody in its path. It was at the top. St people started saying the dollar wrecking ball. And of course, once that term got more and more used out there, more and more popular, uh, that's when the dollar actually turned around and now it is coming down. And it's very interesting that it's kind of coming to rest on the previous high from back in 2016. My prediction is that there is going to be some sort of new range found for the dollar. I don't think it's going to drop 
very low at all. Um, but it could turn around here and maybe set a higher range up here in the 100s. Uh, okay, let's go to the next one. This is oil. And a lot of people also, you can tell when the, the war in Ukraine kicked off with, is that big spike there at the beginning of March. And a lot of people started saying, oh, it's going to $200, $300 a barrel. And you can see since around June is when it really has just trailed off. And it, there's no strength in this market whatsoever. This, you know, the, the direction in oil was achieved before any of the strategic petroleum reserve was uh, starting to be released for the election. So uh, this is not a pure like one-to-one -one with, oh, we're releasing oil from the strategic petroleum reserve. Now oil is going to go down. No, no, this is a global phenomenon. Global demand for oil is falling and that's why the price is falling. So CK, stop me. Oh, anytime. yeah. No, I want to jump in. I mean, there has been renewed calls for $100 barrel, $150 a uh, barrel oil. Um, what do you what do you make of those calls? A lot of that is centered around reopening of China, which on today's show, we're not going to talk anything about the zero COVID. I hadn't planned to talk about zero COVID um, and the reopening. But if China reopens, they say, oh, the demand is going to shoot back up and that's going to cause a lot of uh you know price to go up basically but that's that's not a given yes i think price can go up and you can see on this chart i have this kind of red curved line where i can see price getting back up to in, in the 90s that wouldn't be surprising but look china is not going to bounce back just overnight it's going to take them years to recover from this and their, their entire economy is shifting. Um, it's slowing, it's shifting. And so is all, all the other economies in the emerging markets, in the West, they're all entering recession. And what happens with recession is demand goes down. So it doesn't matter if China reopens. It's not, they're not going to add like 20 million barrels per day demand. They might add five. And that can be easily handled uh, by by the marketplace. So that I think that's where a lot of these calls renewed calls for higher oil. And I could see it getting up to 100, but it's not going to stay that high. All right, let's go to the next chart. Chart number is what is it? Uh, yeah, this one. Uh, this is the European natural gas futures. And of course, we heard a lot about this. I actually used a almost two and a half year chart for this just to show uh, what was normal. Then the buildup uh, before, you know, when all the, the tensions kind of were building, the troops were being staged on the border of Ukraine. And so a lot of this, the price of natural gas started increasing back in 2021. And then, of course, in 2022 so far, it has been very volatile, but it's hit some extreme highs. And just recently, however, it has fallen back out of this pattern which we also see on the U.S. natural gas futures. So if you go to the next one, CK, this is the U.S. natural gas futures for that same period. Uh, you can see an obvious trend higher. And, you know, a lot of the natural gas that they were getting from Russia, they're trying to supplement by getting LNG from the United States. And it's not a one-to-one -one 
uh, replacement, but there is a lot of demand that is hitting U.S. markets. Uh, so we did see some sympathetic increase here in the price over in U.S. natural gas futures. But we are also breaking out of this pattern the same sort of way that the European natural gas futures are. Um, so that's what I have to say about energy. Next is CPI. And this, this is a month-on-month -month CPI. And if you guys are listeners to the show, you'll know I don't care about year-on-year -year because the year-on-year -year does not show me when we hit the brick wall. And you can see this in this chart. In July, we went from like 1% per month increase in CPI to zero. We hit a brick wall. And now we're kind of bouncing on the bottom here. But I can see CPI actually getting into the negative in the first few months of the of 2023. But overall, throughout this year, we did see higher CPI, uh, but we did see peak CPI, and now it has crashed. If you go to the next one, CK, this shows the peak CPI uh, really well. And I used a longer-term chart here to show a couple things. First is this recent peak. Um, yes, it got high, but it has rolled over, and it's coming back down, as I just showed you on the month-on-month. -month. There's no sign of month-on-month -month inflation picking up. If you take, actually, if you take, uh, I should have put this chart in here. If you do CPI X shelter, it's been negative twice. So it's the shelter component that is already starting to come down again as well. That is keeping CPI in positive territory for month on month. Um, but as you can see in this chart, we're rolling over. Now I wanted to point something else out too. So the, the thicker gray bar in the middle, kind of in the middle of the chart, that is the great financial crisis. Now, what did what did we do after the great financial crisis? The Fed started QE. And that is what everybody says is the big source of money printing. Okay. But look at CPI. Look at the difference in CPI. Before the great financial crisis, before QE, we had CPI that averaged about two and a half percent. After QE started, we had CPI that only broke two two and a half percent once. So that is a big difference and QE has nothing to do with money printing. All right. Uh, CK, any thoughts on that before I get into GDP? Actually, let me do GDP and then well, I'll, I'll ask. Go ahead. I, th I think uh, it's, it, it's pretty stark that CPI has been down. And I think that just this experience shows how the, and when I say this experience, I mean, 20, like living through 2020, 2021, 2022, and watching CPI and understanding generally what's happening to the world, the world's supply chains and our ability to Ooh. cooperate and trade. It's extremely evident that CPI does not even measure inflation. It, it strictly measures the prices of a basket of goods. And those prices can be affected by a lot of things, including war and hostility and uh breakdown of trade agreements like that can affect prices too and it has nothing to do with money printing yeah great points i should have put in some shipping charts i i do that on my live streams um so if you guys want to go to bitcoinmarkets.com and look at my last few live streams i did put uh, a bunch of these macro charts up there and shipping was in there as well which shows like the price for uh 
the Baltic dry index, which is the bulk dry goods. Uh, so commodities like steel or corn or something like that, that don't go in the 40 foot containers, those things uh, peaked in 2021 and are coming down and normalizing. Also freight rates for the 20 foot containers are norm. They're diving off a cliff and they are coming back to reality. So yes, the supply chains, just the prices within the supply chains can show us that this really was transitory. But anyway, let's go to that next chart there, CK. And this is GDP. Of course, a lot of people were saying, oh, we had two quarters of negative GDP growth in the year. And so that is a recession. Um, I believe it was a recession, but I, I, in January or February this year, I was saying we are in a recession right now, but labeling it a recession is backward looking, right? And people were complaining about what the backward looking label of recession. Oh my gosh, how can they change a recession? We're in a recession. But as they were arguing about that, we were already out of the recession and Q3 was very positive. It had been revised once again uh, to a plus, I think it's 3.2% year on year for Q3. That is very high, even going back in history. On this chart, you can see back to 2019. But if you go back 2018, 2017, you know, 33 or 3.2% annualized uh, GDP for the quarter was a very high measure. And anyway, so what I'm trying to point out here is this is what happened in 2022. We had, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> we had two quarters of negative GDP growth and then a positive quarter. And it looks like Q4 is also going to be slightly positive, not quite as positive as Q3, but slightly positive. Now, if we look forward to 2023, um, what is the GDP going to do? Because that's going to dictate whether we are going into recession. Um, as CP, CPI drops drastically, like I showed you on the month on month, we hit the brick wall in July. As that CPI um, continues to fall, it doesn't really matter what happens to nominal GDP because it's the CPI is falling faster than that. And so we're getting the real GDP can remain positive for a long time. Uh, I have to cough CK. So what do you have to say about uh, GDP and stuff? Uh, I don't have much to say. Um, Ansel is really the one who can help, uh, you know, interpret all of this. But again, I would like to say like, this shit is so damn complicated and they have to revise this stuff all the time. And they're constantly opening the door with some big announcement of some great numbers. And then like a quarter later, revising it down to nothing. Like it's a bunch of hoopla. And I, I <laughs> like, this is why I can't wait for the Bitcoin standard because it brings verifiability to finance and it brings simplicity and it brings the ability for anyone to understand the economy rather than, you know, only the high priests can understand it and they don't even understand it. You know, right. like we're going from flying blind to like everyone has GPS. Like that's what Bitcoin is from a financial perspective. So I cannot wait for the Bitcoin standard. Uh, and I know I didn't add much to uh, the real GDP. It's more of a rant, but um, hope I got you through your cough, Ansel. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, those are great points. And I don't, I don't think CPI is perfect. But I think it's pretty, I mean, at least it's open source. At least we can make evaluations from it. Like I said earlier, 
uh, CPI X shelter is negative month over month. So you know, we can do that because it's open source, but you can't do that with other things. Um, and so it's, it's at least a starting point. It's the best starting point that we have uh, right now is CPI and GDP also. It's the uh, tight, what is it? The Zeus of the economic pantheon is what they call G, uh, GDP. Well, it's not perfect either because government spending counts, but not all forms of government spending. And imports are negative and exports are positive, even though like, uh, here's an example too. 55% of made in China is actually made in the US because they import stuff from the US, then they do their little finishing to it and then they re-export it, right? And so the GDP doesn't really capture all of those types of things, uh, at least not in a very super transparent way. And so, yeah, these aren't the best measurements in the world, but they're the best starting points that we have to make analysis from. So that's why everybody does it. Do we have time to get into the last two? Uh, we don't, but we should. So let's just, let's just get through it and then we'll close it out. All right. Well, these, these charts people have seen, if they're watched the show, the red kind of stair step is the fed funds target this year. The other ones are selection of, well, the, not the two year, but the five, 10 and 30 are the longer bonds. And so you can see that they were above the Fed funds range the whole time. Uh, and then over the last few months, they've fallen down through. There's some fluctuations going on right now, but we'll see where this ends up. And then the last one is, uh, this is a new one for you, CK, this next chart. This is the 10 year versus the four week and with that same stair step. And you can see that stair step kind of influenced that four week to go up with it. But now the four week is falling at the same time that the 10 year is rising. So this is an uninversion of this particular uh, spread. But um, it's interesting that the short term rates are not rising right now while the long term rates are. This is kind of opposite of what we've seen in the last couple months. So this is a developing situation, but this is how we end 2022 uh, on this show, talking about US treasury rates. And that's all I got for today, CK. All right, Ansel. Well, 2022, I really do think like the plot thickened. <laughs> that's that's how I would summarize the year. Good way is. to put it, yeah. You know, we were in Clown World, uh, 2020 really exposed Clown World to a lot of people. And in 2022, the plot thickened quite a bit. Uh, I think 2023 is going to be a huge year for Bitcoin. Um, Ansel, people can find me at CK Snarks on Twitter. Uh, they can meet me in person at the Bitcoin conference. They can get this hat, store.bitcoinmagazine.com. Get a Satoshi Nakamoto hat has a Bitcoin Magazine logo on the back. Subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine. Go subscribe to Ansel's awesome Bitcoin Markets Twitter, or Twitter, Telegram, and podcast. I listen to that daily. That's the only reason I can keep up slightly in these conversations. Um, <laughs> Y'all, happy New Year's. Ansel, passing it to you. Yep, uh, check out BitcoinMarkets.com. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, we will see you in the new year a couple times, Bitcoin day, maybe in January down in Naples, Florida, and then across the state over there in Miami, uh, following up at the Bitcoin conference. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got. CK. Happy new year's. Peace.
What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. Bitcoin is for everyone. Lefties, righties, and rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin Magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naya Bukele, Jeff Deist, Beauty On, Natalie Smolensky, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy at your local Barnes & Noble's bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at store.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.